0: Create your symphony of success with Sales Enablement. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our talk about the importance of emotional intelligence in sales leadership. I'm thrilled to welcome Colleen Stanley for this conversation. Colleen is the president of Sales Leadership, a sales development firm specializing in integration of emotional intelligence, sales and sales leadership skills. She is the author of two books, Emotional Intelligence for Sales Success and Emotional Intelligence for Sales Leadership. Colleen has been named one of the top 50 sales and marketing influencers and top 30 global sales gurus. Additionally, she was also named by Salesforce as one of the top experts of the 21st century. Colleen, I'm humbled to having you here with me today.
1: Oh, thank you, Britta, for having me. I'm I'm looking forward to our conversation.
0: Thank you. Colleen, before we get into the topic, I would love to give you the chance to introduce yourself, to tell our audience who you are and what made you, the Colleen, you are today.
1: Well, gosh, that goes back (laughs) quite a ways. I actually grew up in a very rural setting on a 500 acre farm. I am fifth of eight children. So that means I had to speak loudly and often to get attention. And the the town I grew up in, Britta, was actually quite small, 900 people. <laughs> so wow. the joke I always make is that I dated everyone by the time I was a senior in high school. That's where I actually developed my prospecting skills. So that's the informal bio.
0: That's a life story. I mean, growing up with five siblings and then having your internal prospecting part awesome wonderful story all right so colleen i know your near and dear topic to your heart is the combination of several different components in the sales conversation per se especially the emotional intelligence and what role it plays so why is that so important for sales and sales leadership
1: So the reason we really started bringing this emotional intelligence into our work about 10 years ago Mm -hmm. was because I myself as a former VP of sales, salesperson, and sales trainer and speaker, I often focused all of my time and energy on teaching the hard skills of sales, what I refer Mm -hmm. to as the sales IQ. Mm -hmm. And these skills are very important, consultative selling skills, negotiation skills, questioning skills, asking for the business. However, I would often see salespeople not execute the knowledge, not execute consistently the right selling behaviors. So when we started studying EQ, emotional intelligence, that's Mm -hmm. when I realized this is what's going to bridge the knowing and doing gap. So quick example, uh, I think all of us have either been taught to sell on value or we've taught sales teams sell on value, not price. And then when a salesperson gets in front of that really good negotiator, you know, the one I'm talking Mm -hmm. about, uh, they, they love to do it just for sport. The salesperson can sometimes without emotional self-awareness, emotion management get triggered and they default to discounting. They start overselling, defending and justifying. So we've spent all this time teaching them negotiation skills but when emotions start running the sales conversation, all of those influence skills, selling skills, kind of take a right turn and go out the door.
0: Mm-hmm. So do you actually, when you do teaching emotional skills, also teach how to avoid those triggers? Because everyone has certain triggers. When, when you say a word or somebody makes a movement, they are triggered by a certain circumstance do you also integrate that into your teaching and emotional intelligence
1: yes absolutely and giving people really practical tools Britta because I think emotional intelligence can look and sound very theoretical esoteric but how does it really make a difference in hard skills the execution of hard skills Mm so the number one thing just as it relates to this topic is really uh Improving your emotional self-awareness, because in the words of Socrates, know thyself. So this means yes. I'm going to encourage salespeople, sales leaders to carve out quiet time and ask the reflective questions. What triggered me yesterday that caused me to respond in a manner I regret? The trigger response regret loop. Mm-hmm. What would have been a better response? And so it's really in that reflection that then we can start changing selling behaviors or emotional behaviors that are derailing the results we want in our lives.
0: Wow, I love that self-awareness piece because I think there's so much power in it. If you are aware of what actually triggers you and you can control these emotions, it's gonna be a big game changer, wonderful.
1: Absolutely. And you and I can almost feel when I'm getting triggered, I can mm-hmm. almost feel it right here. So something I will do to manage that trigger is just name the emotion. I'm mm-hmm. getting triggered. I'm getting frustrated. I'm getting annoyed. And by naming the emotion, you actually start taming the emotion.
0: Mm-hmm. Great. Um, Colleen, over the last couple of weeks especially last weekend I was going through your second book the emotional intelligence for sales leadership and one chapter or one part that just struck me was the one uh, which is called what they don't teach you at a traditional sales management school I mean it was just whoa! I gotta read that first so I actually started quite far in the back of the book but (laughs) the whole chapter you speak basically about emotional intelligence skills. So for our audience, so they also understand what we too are speaking about. um, Do you mind sharing some insights on what they actually are and what you define as these skills?
1: You know, there's, there's about 15 competencies that you can develop. When I'm working with sales leaders, sales teams, I often start with the three E's as I call Mm -hmm. it. One I just mentioned is emotion management, Mm -hmm. right? Because if we're again, not able to manage our emotions, we're often not able to execute the right selling behaviors, self-awareness, and then empathy. You know, and empathy is a huge influence skill. And because what I always share with people is how do we think we can influence another human being if we don't know or care about what they're thinking or feeling, which is the definition of empathy. And so the three E's really allow you to tune into your own emotions, but what that allows you to do is also tune out, literally Mm -hmm. meaning tune out to somebody else. What are they thinking? Why are they feeling that way? How is it affecting how they show up? So there's assertiveness, there's impulse control, delayed gratification, optimism, but we usually start with the three E's when we're working with a team.
0: Wow, great. Do you also add in, I mean, we heard self-awareness, how about stress management, for example, because that goes for me personally, hand in hand, if I'm aware I'm stressed, but don't know how to manage that. Well, it's good to know, but again, I'm trained on it, but can't put it into action. Are there any tips and tricks on that from, from your side?
1: You know, absolutely. And there's been a lot of great research on this topic. Mm -hmm. And it's an important topic because especially in today's environment, maybe every environment, people are stressing out, they're burning out, they're dropping out. And in fact, there's been some studies where the majority of salespeople feel like sales is a stressful uh, business, stressful Mm -hmm. job. Now, here's what happens if someone doesn't learn how to manage stress, you've got this not so feel good hormone, right? Stress hormone called cortisol. And when people start uh, remaining in a state where their body's always emitting this stress hormone of cortisol, what eventually happens is they become very fatigued. They become tired. Um, And think about it, a fatigued salesperson, a tired salesperson is not a productive salesperson. So again, you can teach them all these great selling skills And they're just worn out. They're burning out. So the number one tool we teach is tap into something called internal locus of control. Mm -hmm. And this is a body of work that was uncovered by psychologist Julian Broder back actually in the 50s. And internal control is basically, if it is to be, it's up to me. So focus on what you can control rather than what's out of your control, because this is what causes the stress prospects, I have the worst territory, I don't have enough marketing, I don't have enough leads, stress, stress, stress. Well, instead, what can I control? And that is the common denominator found in people that are resilient. Uh, They have the bounce back factor. So internal locus of control versus external locus of control.
0: I love that. It's really one exercise I love to do with my clients and also with my team is the reframing, which is actually going exactly into this direction. So inside everything I can control, I can manage everything outside. I can't control. So don't put too much energy on that. Focus on what you actually can manage.
1: And you just mentioned the great word energy, because what I'm seeing in today's environment, we have a few salespeople that are just not accepting the reality. And so they keep resisting the change. I don't wanna learn virtual selling. I miss face-to-face selling. So they make half the effort to become as masterful at the new selling situation because all my energy is going here, right? Mm-hmm. Resisting rather than if I put the energy to, I can control this. I can master the new skills needed in this environment. So what you resist, persist. And yes. where I'm putting my energy towards that grows. So have that self-awareness, where's your energy, where's your mindset, because that's what's gonna appear in your life. Mm
0: -hmm. Great, and also how do you manage, or that's something I hear a lot are limitations on self-belief and am I good enough to do that? Or am I actually high enough in the level of hierarchy to speak to those people? How can we manage self-limiting belief systems?
1: Well, what's interesting is, again, a lot of work around this, some very, very good experts that have documented the research, it it boils down to something very simple. All of us as human beings tell ourselves stories, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm telling myself a story I'm not good enough. Now, I don't know where that story came from. Maybe you failed at something one time in your life, and now that becomes your permanent story. So whatever you tend to tell yourself over and over again becomes the truth or a belief system. Mm -hmm. So an easy way, but yet a hard way is change your story. Start Mm -hmm. questioning your story. Well, what makes me not good enough? Um, I'm worried about calling on a big decision maker because I'm going to be asked big questions, maybe big objections. Well, tell yourself a story. I'm going to do a lot of pre-call planning. I'm going to ask for advice. I'm gonna go to that call highly prepared and confident. So it starts with a story that creates an emotion, that creates a belief that drives the actions you'll apply and the skills you'll apply. So yes. tell yourself a new story. That's my, that's my short piece of
0: advice. Which is, sounds simple and easy, but I think it's one of the most challenging things to do to restructure and again, reframe the stories in order to regain new beliefs for yourself.
1: And that starts with the quiet time in the morning. So start examining, okay, what story am I telling myself? Where did that story come from? So in the book, I actually uh, share a story of a very early boss in my career. Her name was Carol.
0: Now, again, growing
1: up in this family of eight kids, I was that kid, Britta, that I I was always losing clothing, coats, you know, scarves and gloves. So my parents, you know, bless them, uh, were saying, oh, you'd lose your head if it wasn't attached. So that became my story, thinking I wasn't very organized. And when I started working for this boss, Carol, she uh, sat me down one day and she said, hey, I just want you to know you're doing a great job. You are the most organized assistant I've ever hired. And then here's me in my twenties. Oh, no, no, I'm not. I'm really disorganized. Now, who says that to their boss, right? But luckily, you know, this is what good mentors do. They can see beyond your youth and they help you see potential. And she said, no, actually you're very organized. New story. And guess what? That started leading to different actions, starting to study time management more and actually realizing I was pretty organized. I still lose coats today. I don't know what it's about. (laughs) Maybe it's just a distraction, but distraction is not the same as being disorganized.
0: Yes, wonderful story Colleen. And one thing that also struck me when I was going through this one part was um, embracing failure and feedback. I mean, how wonderful, where do we learn the most? It's not when we are successful. We are learning the most when we actually do have failure, but also only if we get feedback. How do you tie that into your coaching and managing with sales managers, especially? I mean, individuals are different, but also with management. How does that tie into that?
1: So I think it's really um, calling the elephant in the room. We all have heard that pithy quote. You Mm -hmm. learn more from your failures than your successes. And so I always ask my clients, so where's your failure wall? Mm -hmm. I'd love to see your failure wall, because if we learn more from our failures, we should have those documented, right? And so what we have to realize is we're not actually recognizing and embracing failure as a culture. Now, the second thing, once we create that awareness, then the major strategy tactic mindset is when you fail, remember, you fail on what you do for a living. You're not failing as a human being. Yes, yes you might have blown a coaching conversation as a manager. You may have blown, uh, screwed up a sales call. That's simply your role. So if you can separate your do from your who, that's when you're able to actually gain the lessons. And so the the in the EQ world, this is actually called self-regard. Mm-hmm. And people with... Uh, Uh, high self-regard, develop self-regard. It doesn't mean you're arrogant, but you have the ability to admit your strengths and weaknesses. And so that's when you're able to take feedback. Oh, okay. Give me feedback because I know it's on my role as a sales manager. I know it's on my role as a salesperson, and you're not taking it personally and then getting the story. I'm not enough. I'll never be enough. Mm -hmm. So I hope that makes sense for the listeners today, but those are some of the strategies we teach.
0: And maybe also to put it in a different wording, is it can, it, can we say like the value of you as a person is not attached to the success, what you have at a certain task. So no matter what you do, if you're succeeding or you're failing, you're still the same person and you still have the same value.
1: You're absolutely right. Because think about this. If somebody doesn't separate their do from their who, here's mm-hmm. what can happen in your role you become highly successful right your big title big money big houses big cars and all of a sudden you're starting to confuse that with your self worth so you become arrogant mm-hmm. and then arrogance actually often leads to mediocrity because once you become arrogant you become a know it all and you really don't think you have anything else to learn it's a crazy circle so keep your success on your due side keep your failure that doesn't define your self-worth, your character.
0: Yes, wonderful. Colleen, we spoke before we went live quite a lot about how COVID changed our lives, which negative impacts, but also there are some slight positive things, especially if we take a step back and evaluate it on a neutral basis, let's call it like this, and one of the things is that, I mean, we have to face it, we will be working remotely more than ever, and Personally, I don't think it's gonna change a lot. I mean, we're gonna go back into hybrid settings, but remote will be with us for the, yeah, at least for the next generation. Mm -hmm. So everything we spoke about in regards of this emotional intelligence skills, we touched on it a little bit, but can you share with us on what you recommend on how we should begin to implement that even more than ever before now in this remote world?
1: Well, and I think it goes back to the EQ skill you mentioned and emphasized, emotional Mm self-awareness. So actually in the book, I talked about something called the change curve. And this was documented many years ago. And when the pandemic hit, all of us went through it through some degree. So the change curve is first we're in kind of shock, denial Then we start accepting it. Then we start blaming and making Mm -hmm. excuses. And then when you get to the bottom of the change curve, we're all sitting there looking up, going, What is happening? I'm frustrated. I got self doubt. And this is where all of us are because this, you know, we continue to have waves of this. Well, people that start accepting the reality, right? That's called reality testing. Mm -hmm. They adapt, they change, and they move on. And I believe for all of us, you have to have the self awareness where are you? Are you still resisting? Or are you accepting, you know what, this is the new world, I have mastered new skills before, and I can do it again. That's called self-actualization. You're on this journey of professional and personal improvement. So yes, we're going to miss some things about life before COVID, Mm -hmm. but there are new and better things happening as well that we need to pay attention to. This conversation is one of them. We may not have met without all of the remote uh, podcast and learnings that are going on. So where's your focus? Focus on the positive, you'll find it. Focus on the negative, you'll find it.
0: Do you have any tips and tricks you can share with uh, our audience on how to actually find out where your self-realization process is at this moment of time? Is there anything we can do actively to identify where we are and take the next steps?
1: You know, there's a couple of things. Um, you know, if you've got a, a group of trusted friends, and trusted friends are mm-hmm. the ones that they've got your back, they actually know your good side and your dark side, right? And they've got your best intent. And you might have a conversation with them and say, "Hey, where are some blind spots that I have that could be holding me back from a reaching my full potential?" Or some people are actually doing well and reaching their potential, but they're just miserable. Okay, and so somebody that can give you feedback because a blind spot is called a blind spot because we can't see it. You can also uh, actually take assessments on emotional intelligence. There's Mm -hmm. many that are out there. And often when you see a score and a score is not really the right way to put it, because then it means people tend to take that as I'm good or bad, Mm -hmm. but it simply gives you a baseline of you know what, I'm lacking assertiveness here. That may lead to me feeling like a victim because I don't have the wherewithal to state what I need nicely. I'm lower on optimism. I'm looking at the glass half empty. So sometimes just taking a look at what the assessment shows up can raise that awareness as well.
0: But I think one thing we also need to emphasize here is that if you do an assessment like that, it's just a picture of the moment right now. It doesn't define you as a person overall. It's now at this certain moment of time. So if you take it 10 days later, maybe you get a total different score again.
1: Yes, and and, and I think for me, like what popped up when I took my first uh, uh, EQ assessment was I had low impulse control. Now, it actually didn't surprise me because, but you have to know how to interpret results too, mm-hmm. because I would, I probably have, tremendous delayed gratification I can put in the work to, to earn the reward but where impulse control shows up is what comes out of my mouth you know comes in pops out <clears throat> excuse me so for me as a human being that's where I've had to work on it but I had enough mm-hmm. awareness to say yeah I can see where that's been a little bit of an Achilles heel for me
0: okay great uh you just said uh where I have to work on, which actually leads me to my next question, Colleen, and it's the shift from being a sales leader to teams, managing teams. So why is it so difficult for sales leaders to actually make this shift from the individual contributor to leading and developing a sales team? Where are those hurdles and object obstacles?
1: Well, there's, there's probably a couple. One thing I always have taught teached and preached, if that's the right words, is that I believe sales leaders get set up to fail. Uh, if you think about it, top salesperson gets promoted to sales leader. Mm-hmm. They have spent five to 10 years honing their selling skills, business development, prospecting, negotiation, closing business. Now they land in sales leadership. They take a right turn because these skills are entirely different. They have to know how to hire Good people. Because if you want your life to be easy as a sales leader, hire really good salespeople. But then they have to learn how to transfer the knowledge, habits, and skills that made them a top producer. Mm -hmm. That's a teaching skill, that's a coaching skill where do they learn those skills? It's, it's very different than selling. So they often really don't know how to hire or transfer the skills. So it's a new set of skills that they must invest the time, resources, and energy into to become as masterful at becoming this master teacher and coach as they were a master seller.
0: Have you seen a natural shift in people or actually really Top level sellers moving into leaders of sales teams and developing the teams. Have you ever seen this natural shift happen?
1: I, uh, I think where, if you want to call it natural, where there's a natural tendency to be good is if you love teaching and coaching. But here's where you're going to run into a problem. Teaching is different than coaching because teaching is imparting knowledge. Coaching is make sure, making sure they can apply it in different contexts and selling situations there. But that, that's the one thing I've seen with my VPs of sales that are very, very good. They really love teaching and coaching. Um, I've seen some that fail miserably here, and it's no fault of their own. They're just happier being an individual contributor, and mm-hmm. that is okay.
0: Yes. And again, comes back to self-awareness. It Absolutely. is okay to be the contributor. Not everybody needs to be the leader.
1: Right. It's just a different set of talents, different set of preferences. And one doesn't make you a better person than the other. I <laughs> actually think I was more of a natural sales manager than a natural salesperson. Um, so I had to work harder at the selling skills than I did at some of the sales management skills.
0: Great. Colleen, I want to be cautious of time because I'm really happy that I was able to get you on the line for this discussion. And before we close off today, Colleen, what have I actually failed to ask you about that we should definitely share with our audience?
1: Gosh, good question. You've asked so many good ones. How about this? How you start your day will determine how the day progresses. So how should you start your day, Um, I would say with a quiet time and start with gratitude, because just like I talked about the feel bad hormone of cortisol stress Mm -hmm. hormone, when you start with gratitude, you'll actually activate a part of your brain it's the feel where the uh, feel good centers are dopamine, so if you're going to start your day start with gratitude and reflection and it's going to set the tone for a much better day than, you know, I see people waking up, they grab their smartphones, they got emails coming in, and they're hurried and harried, and it's just crazy. And, uh, you know, if you think about 100 years ago, you didn't have all of these distractions. So today, we've got to be more intentional about managing how we want to show up.
0: Great. Thank you so much, Colleen. It was such a pleasure speaking to you today about this for me, really important topic. And I think it's also really important, especially in these crazy times which are going on that we are aware of our emotions, also how to manage them and what we can actually do. And I just see, we have one question and it is, may I ask it before we finish? Absolutely. What, what would you see as the single most important skill of sales leadership?
1: single most important skill. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take a hard skill, which is teaching. Mm -hmm. And the soft skill would start with self-awareness because that's how you manage uh, emotion management and self-awareness allows you to be more empathetic. I kind of cheated on the answer there. Did you notice?
0: (laughs) I was like thinking or hoping that you're going to say self-awareness because that would have been the answer I would have given. It's just for me, every again, everything starts with the awareness and it, does. it triggers everything else then. Well, uh, I don't see any other questions and thank you, Johanna, for popping it in. Uh, Colleen, again, thank you so, so much. And if I may, I want to finish off our talk with a direct quote from your book, which is also a closing statement there and it is time to incorporate emotional intelligence skills into your sales and leadership process and we should just take this line as the closing for today make sure you integrate it. and yeah thank you again Colleen thank happy you. thanksgiving and thank you. looking forward to speaking to you soon again thank you very cool. much thank, thank you, you.